moves in time. King Solomon informs us that when you look at the world and how things work, you will observe that there are seasons, there's a rhythm, things are in motion. And so there's a sequence, there's a cause and effect. And he talks about there's a time to be born, but there's also a time to die. There's a time to plant, but there's also a time to harvest. There's a time to to speak, but there are also times in life to be quiet and hold your words. There are times for happiness and joy, but also in this world we will experience times of sadness. And he goes on to talk about times for love and time for hate and time for war and time for peace. So life doesn't stay the same. It's always in motion. And Solomon's big question in all of this is, okay, so the world is very busy, things are happening, things are even timed uh, according to seasons, but is there built-in meaning to it? Is there built-in meaning to all that exists? Uh, Are there divine lessons, higher lessons to be learned from what we observe in the world and on this earth, even as the simple things like planting and harvesting here. Because if it's not, if there's no divine meaning, then all of the things that we observe, all the the, the sequences uh, and the seasons are without meaning. They're just vanity. They're pointless, all of these things. So if we think about, we wrestle with, well, is there divine meaning built in to the things that transpire and the way that the world is um, created, or is it all just meaningless and pointless? One thing is for sure, our world is not short on causes. Uh, We seem to really think things matter in this world, no matter where we stand religiously or as a matter of faith. But we we are a people that are bent on protecting things that we think are valuable and protesting things that we think are dangerous. About four years ago, when Lisa and I traveled to, and the family traveled to Maine to um, participate in Josiah and Emily's wedding, Lisa and I had pre-plans. We thought we've never been this far north. We might as well, let's just go into Canada. It'll be fine. We've never been there before. We're so close. And so we pre-planned a little vacation after the wedding, and we were uh, headed to Prince Edward Island, Charlottetown, beautiful place, by the way, to visit. Had a great time. But we're in Canada. I'm on a major highway, and all of a sudden, it just stops. The traffic stops. And it's a huge backup. So our GPS reroutes us through all different kinds of little towns and communities that we we get back on the highway eventually. But in the meantime, while I'm trying to follow this GPS, I think Lisa Googled or something. We researched, what's, what's going on here? Was it a terrible accident? Well, what was going on was that there were some protesters. A group of people decided to uh, protest the climate and the lack of clear for the t- climate. And so they literally set up camp right in the middle of the highway and closed it down. And they um, so they rerouted all of the traffic there. But that was important to them. They wanted to make a statement. They were, they were protesting things that they valued very much. They took advantage of that. But we have to think about all of the protests, <clears throat> the causes that we see and we read about, because if 
If there's no meaning built into these things, say even the climate, if it has no particular purpose, if it's all random and chance, then what is the big deal? What's the difference over what happens and what doesn't happen? And so King Solomon likes, um, as a wise man and as a professor, he likes to make us think. That we live in a world that takes action for things and against things that we think really matter. One of the things that is in the spotlight um, these days as well is sex trafficking. And it gets a lot of attention. It gets people's blood boiling. It's a, a lot of people say it's a terrible evil. It needs to be stopped. Children should not be abused. People should not be abused. And people become very passionate about it. And it just seems like it's a terrible thing. And everybody should agree with that. And it should be stopped at all cost. But when you get into thinking about life in a big picture, well, who's even qualified to make the, these kind of decisions? Who's qualified to decide what's good or evil? And you find yourself, people say, we all want to change the world for the good, but now we have to define good. What do you define as good? Because what we will find is that people's understanding of what's right and wrong is not always the same. This is, these are very important topics. Things that happen in our world on an everyday basis that we just gloss over. But King Solomon is going to make us think. And he's going to, he's, he's in the middle of this argument of, okay, what's the purpose for everything or anything? Why should I even get out of the bed in the morning? Does it even matter if I show up for work or not how I live my life? If there's, no, if there's nothing above the sun. So that's his challenge there. He sees that there's a natural harmony to the world as we know it. And he sees that people are making decisions every day. We made decisions. What we're going to do with our day today. And his challenge is, why do you do what you do? Does it really, really matter? Do your decisions that you make today have any impact on the course of this world and indeed, is there even a course that the world is on? So, he's a thinking man, and he's taking this position of a secularist worldview, that is, that there's nothing above the sun, there's no divinity, there's, there are no gods out there, what you see is what you get, and we just the best we can do is make up our own meaning, and he's taking that argument, which is a valid Argument. It's an argument that people take today, but he's taking it to its logical conclusion. If what you say is true, then this is how it pans out in life. But King Solomon also knows God's Word. And what we find in Ecclesiastes is every once in a while, he takes on the biblical worldview argument as well. Now, King Solomon is not exactly uh, a role model, for Christian living. I think we find that he made very unwise decisions for a wise man. He did things that he knew were against the, God's word. But he knows God's word. He knows truth. Uh, he, he probably, we, we find that he backslides more than he repents in his life. But he understands God's word. He, he, um, he can make a biblical argument based on truth. And every once in a while, he treats us to that, and he carries it out to its logical conclusion. If there is something above the sun, if there is a God, and all of this has meaning, well, then that changes things too, dramatically. And so he'll carry out 
that. And we'll see a little bit of that this morning as well. So in essence, this chapter is about time. It's about history. It it is about seasons. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 9 through 15 this morning. And then we will enjoy Holy Communion together. We will enjoy a time of uh, public praise as well. King Solomon asks, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That this is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, And God seeks what has been driven away. So in the first verse, uh, first eight verses, we saw the seasons. There's a time for everything. And there's a song that you can sing. And it's basically taken right out of this biblical script here. So we find that there are seasons. But we also learned in those verses that there's a God of the seasons. In other words, yes, things happen and it's cause and effect, but they do not happen without the hand of God being very uh, intimately involved in all of these things. There are reasons why there is a time to be born and a time to die. There are reasons why there are periods of sadness and there are periods of great joy in our lives. The, The seasons that we experience in our lives are absolutely packed with meaning and purpose and the good times and the bad times are part all part of the same ingredients if you will or the chapter that God writes into our lives to fulfill the end purpose of our lives that everything has a purpose to build us up there is a time to be built up and a time to be torn apart King Solomon says. So when you start looking at the seasons with an understanding that there's a divine purpose, we start thinking about our lives. And, and we want to process, okay, so we need to laugh, but we also need to cry. Uh, we need to have times of peace, but we also need, according to God, to have times where we struggle. And we have times where there are challenges um, and that's just how it is. And there's times where God sends us encouragement and we are greatly built up. And there are also times where God humbles us and we find ourselves pushed down and suppressed. But all of these things you know, are, are God's doing. He's a sovereign God. And though we would probably prefer to only smile, to only experience happiness, to only be in a place of joy, that's not what it takes in Middle Earth, if you will, in this world as we see it. 
there's, if, if that's, that's kind of like letting a child decide their own diet. It's not going to turn out well. Because they want to just choose what they like at the moment. And it's good to them and it makes perfect sense. Why can't I just eat candy for every meal? I don't understand what parents are thinking. This is delicious to me. I love it. But it's not in the big picture what is the best for that person. So God sends us what we need. We need all of these things in our lives. There is a purpose to it. So I'm going to call in this text, I'm going to call that purpose uh, beauty in its time. Use Solomon's word. Beauty in its time. So first, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Verse 11. The seasons of life are God's plan. They're God's vision. When we talk about beauty, we think of seeing things. They're beautiful. Meaning they're, uh, they're excellent Uh, And they are aesthetically pleasing to the eyes, to the sight, and to the mind. All of these seasons have a beauty to them. The things that make us laugh as well as the things that make us cry. But if we're honest, when we look at the seasons of life, and when we experience the seasons of life, there are times when, from our perspective, we don't see beauty. There are things that are very ugly that happen to us or we bring an ugliness into life itself. We don't always see it like this from our personal experience. And that's because this perspective of all things being beautiful in their time is a from the top down view. It's from God's perspective. It's from a divine perspective. And we're down here and we don't have the vision. We don't have the view and the mind of God to be able to see it all as it is and take it in. We can just, we get fixated on small seasons and segments of our lives. Whereas God can see the whole picture of what it's doing. From our vantage point, a lot of times we're thinking, my life's a mess. There is nothing beautiful about my life right now. It's ugly, and I don't like it. There are, many, <clears throat> there are many times or there's many things that have happened in my life where I, I do not see beauty in it. I do not understand God's will in it. And I wonder if I will ever see the beauty of some of the things that I have experienced in this life. No signs of beauty. There's a lot of suffering that takes place, even in our church family. There's suffering, there's seasons of suffering. There's seasons of gain and there's seasons of loss. There are seasons of plenty and there's seasons of loneliness. Uh, we, we We have illness, we have sickness that we're we're praying through and we're trusting God to work in these things. We have kids that were raised in this church and now are no longer following the Lord. We have burdens that we carry as a church family. It's not all sweet. It's not all beautiful from our perspective. There's a lot of heaviness and a lot of sorrow. Sometimes I look at the world and in the words of C.S. Lewis, it's always winter but never Christmas. Where's the joy to come out of it? But that's because I'm so close to it. 
I'm in the fray. I'm in the middle of it. And I'm very limited what I can understand and perceive and connecting all the dots. I can't see over just one row of trees. I can't back, get back far enough to get the, pop, uh, the proper view. But this is based on the way God sees it. And there are times in this life, many times in fact, that we're going to have to decide whose vision and insight we're going to trust the most. Am I going to trust my own conclusions? Or am I going to look at God's Word and hear what He has to say about my own life and just embrace it and actually let Him be in control and trust Him for it? It's amazing if you've ever been in a plane how different the world looks, how different your house, your front yard, your community looks simply by viewing it from an aerial view. You get in a plane and and the farther up you go, of course, before you get above the clouds, but you can still see things and it's like the colors are deeper and and there's a a greater contrast of the colors. Like I know this is green here and of course the roads would be black and the gravel is a different color, but when you get up into a plane, it just, things are, are, are delineated, they're almost more, they're clear. And the lakes and the waters look bluer and the ocean somehow looks bigger to me. And then you see, if you're up in a plane at night, you see lights and you begin to see, they almost take on a story of their own. And from the sky, all these things, you know, we get on roads and we just start driving. But from the sky, you can actually see there's a plan to the, the transportation system and the directions that it takes and where there are the most lights and the least lights. And there's a design to all of this craziness and the things that we just take for granted every day. Perspective makes a big difference. I remember reading a very, very sad story years ago about a lady uh, in her middle-aged lady decided she was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And so she set out to do that, and she set out to do it by herself. It was winter time, and to, to go the potty, she got off the trail, and she wanted to get far enough off the trail to have privacy, but she went far enough off the trail for whatever reason, she couldn't seem to find her way back. And so she literally hiked for days until she ran out of food and ran out of heat and set up a camp and curled up in her tent and wrote a letter saying if anybody finds me, my husband, here's my husband's name and address and here's who I am and my daughters, I'm sure they would be very glad to know what happened to me. And she curled up and she literally died. And she was a 30-minute walk from the trail. A 30-minute walk. But because of the dense trees... She couldn't, she couldn't find the trail that was so close to her. Really, her life was not in danger. She was close to help. We often feel lost, and things often feel senseless. And we're down in this maze, and we're going right, and then we go left, and we walk forward, and we walk backward, and we hit a lot of dead ends and have to turn around and try again. And we, it's hard to see and to know where we're going when things are so above our level of sight or vision. And yet, 
from the top you see this beautiful maze. And sometimes mazes even have words that make sense. From the top down, it makes sense. And so we're challenged in this text that all things are beautiful in their time. And that though we might be tempted to see life as, to see ourselves as stuck, to see that there can't be any meaning in this or there can't be any beauty in this, and we might even be tempted to blame God. To blame God for our misery, to, to make God the culprit of our troubles because we can't really see what's going on in our, life, in our lives. Have you ever done that? All of a sudden, life is so bad, God's the enemy. He's the one that came to kill and destroy. He's the thief. He's robbing me of my joy. He's robbing me of the life that I could be having right now. All of a sudden, when things are great, he's my best friend. But when things don't go well, somehow he finds his way on my enemy list in my heart. And I have to check myself. It's a temptation there. It's often a matter of trust, verse 11 says. Is God making all things beautiful? Does God have a plan for this? Trusting God to make us beautiful? Is that what He's doing in my life? We also see, secondly, in verse 11, that there's the beauty of, I'll call it the beauty of eternity. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we see that as we bounce around life, as we bounce in and out of seasons, that we are a part of something bigger. He's placed eternity in our hearts, and therefore... We're not, underneath the surface, we're not going to be content with the here and the now. There's going to be this gnawing or this nagging at us. There's, there's got to be something more than this. And it's the eternity in our hearts. There is something more to this. The longings that we feel have a proper direction to go. And so, this, sometimes it's a longing of our hearts to be dissatisfied with all of this that wakes us from our stupor. Uh, and again, to quote Lewis, rather than being satisfied with playing in mud puddles, we can visit the ocean and the majestic sands and the power and the beauty of that and, and camp there and play there. So, eternity in our hearts stirs us and and cause us to yearn for more, and ultimately find, hopefully, the God who is eternal. The God who has no beginning. The God who has no end. So, beauty in its time and eternity in our hearts are a plan of God. And third, I see in here, what I'll call the beauty of not knowing. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Answers are good. But sometimes we die with questions. We leave this life with questions. Just as we read when I was preaching through Revelation chapter 10 and made reference to Deuteronomy uh, 29 and Daniel 12, there are just things that are secret, they're mysterious, 
They belong to God alone and He's not going to tell us. He's not going to share it with us or reveal it to us. He has revealed to us all that we need for godliness and happiness. All that we need to find and know God. He shared that with us. But there are mysteries to life. There are mysteries to not just the big picture, but there will be mysteries to our own personal journey that we may not have answers to. And yet, it's a part of the ingredients of the beauty. Apparently, this is also needed in our lives to cause a dependency upon God, to help us really see how life works and who we are and how to find our place in this world. Why would God withhold things? Well, I don't know for sure. There's probably a lot of different reasons, but one reason may simply be that we don't have the moral fortitude or character to be entrusted with certain truths that God might have. Uh, We have proven ourselves dishonest, fallen, sinful. It's, It's a privilege and gift that God even gives us what we have to know. We don't deserve any of it. But it's possible that God caps it off and says that's enough. That's what I'll entrust you with. We can't handle the truth or the answers in that sense. Another reason might be to spare us the burden of knowing things that we can't do a thing about. When you learn things and know things and you can't do a thing about them, then you carry them with you your whole life. Not able to do anything. And so your life of lightness just became a life of heaviness. And maybe it's a mercy of God to spare us from these things. Back in 2010, there was a 30-year-old Scottish man who was diagnosed uh, with a fatal, a a terminal, um, terrible, incurable genetic disorder named Huntington's disease. And at that time, ABC News reported, the man, identified by authorities, they just called him Mr. C, lived for decades waiting for the hostile personality changes, early dementia, and complete loss of muscle control caused by Huntington's disease. His family also lived in fear of passing the mutation on to their children. After his first diagnosis, Mrs. C., his wife, terminated a pregnancy, and his daughter terminated two pregnancies under the false assumption that they were saving future generations from the notoriously devastating disease. This is how the man applied and digested this diagnosis, this answer that he was given. This is what my life's going to look like, and they were trying to be uh, the best they knew how, proactive in this. They have this terrible burden over their heads. Turns out that when they retested him, I don't know if you noticed, but I said the false assumption that they were saving the future generations. It was a false assumption because 20 years after being diagnosed, he was retested and found out that he did not have that. It was a false diagnosis. But do you see how, and that's kind of lesson number two that I won't talk about, but... There, and that is that sometimes we receive wrong answers. You've got to know your sources, right? And be sure about these things because you're living your life based on what you think is true. But the main illustration here is that we are living our lives 
based on answers. And there are times where it may be a mercy of God, a grace of God, an absolutely beautiful thing of God to not share all of the mysteries of how things turn out. I would venture to say that there is indeed a beauty to not knowing. Now we want to know because we're created in the image of God and He's all wise and He's all knowing and, and we're, we're created to push in and to learn the truth and to find answers and that's a wonderful thing for us to do that. And we want to push in and find uh, and, and more excellent ways that are better and, and right what's good. There's a beauty in knowing but there's a beauty in not knowing. And there's a beauty in the child of God who believes in things that God says simply because of God's character. Simply because who He is, regardless of what it looks like, how the world works, or how my life is going or not going. Life requires faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God without faith. And so it's no wonder that we have so many opportunities as His creatures to exhibit our faith in the Almighty God. So the known and the unknown are two important ingredients I think that God uses to create in us the beautiful life that He desires. What do we do with all this beauty here? We have God's timing. We have eternity in our hearts. We have the known and the unknown. Verse 12, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful, and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. And this is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. So in essence, as Solomon stands back and he takes all of this knowledge in, his bottom line is be joyful Do good. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your drink. Take as much pleasure as you can in your life and your doings. And by all means, fear God. Though if you wanted just to simplify that, enjoy life and fear God. Enjoy life and fear God. I'd like to think that fearing God is the only way we can truly Enjoy our lives. So when you have the abundance, when you have the work, you have the health, you you have the food and the joy and the celebration, and you have the pitter-patter of little feet in the house, and you have the money and, and the laughter and the life and the peace and all of this, enjoy it as a gift of God, as a pleasurable thing. And when you're hungry, and when you lost or lose your job, and when your bank account has single digits in it, and your steps are not light around the house, they're heavy, and you're in a puddle of tears, or your children are in a hard place, and you're going through a season of tearing down, what is the advice? Enjoy it as God's gift. Enjoy it as an ingredient of what God is providentially doing in our lives. It has meaning. It has purpose the pain, all of it. How is this possible? Because He who is above the sun has this top-down view. 
And he can see what all of these things are doing in our lives. And he knows the result that they will have. He is the master. He knows exactly how much pressure to put on and pressure to take off. He's teaching us. He's, he's crafting us. He's caring for us ever so wisely in ways that we would never imagine would work. He takes us down paths that we would never venture down because He knows that's exactly what we need. And we can enjoy the promise of this beautiful work that God is doing in our lives. Everything is coming through His hand. He's the potter, right? And we're the clay and we're on that wheel. And in order to make that, that, that implement, sometimes you've got to squeeze it to get the shape you want. And other times you just let it go and let it get a little wider. You also have to put it under certain conditions of, of intense heat and also cool. Sometimes it gets put on the shelf. Sometimes it's taken back off. All of these things make us the creatures that we are that will be beautiful in His sight. There's a joy to the fact that things are hard. And there can be a joy in the fact that things are going well. For today, right now, we have everything that we need to honor God, to have joy, and to fear Him. God keeps the time. It's not an abandonment. It's not an unkindness. God hasn't turned on us or changed His mind about us. It's incredible wisdom and profound love. We're talking about the God who knew us before we were even born. He knew how many children we would have. He knew all about our children before we birthed them. He knew about our infirmities before they came to pass. He designs life this way because life has a faith element that needs to be built into it. And He designs it so that we will trust Him and therefore be set free from our own burdens. God is the judge of beauty. And God says all things will be beautiful in His time. So I close with with some thoughts. Solomon is a thinking man and certainly he will get us thinking. I don't know how all this pans out. I don't know how life pans out. I don't know how this church pans out in the end. I don't know who will be here next month and who won't. I don't know how many prayers will be answered or unanswered. I don't know who gets broken and who gets mended. I don't know who will suffer and who will go just live lives of peace. I don't know your story. I don't always know how your marriage is going to turn out. I don't know how the trials will end. I don't know these things. So much remains a mystery. I don't even know what the next page of my life holds. I can only make decisions on the past and the present and stick with that. That's all I can do. We're not in control. So what do we do? We enjoy life and we fear God. We continue to exalt God. We continue to edify the saints. We continue to evangelize the lost because God can be trusted. He can be trusted with all of our laughter and giggles and He can be trusted with every tear that falls out of our eye. All of these things. The anguish 
as well as the butterflies. Because God brings these things into our lives. He can be trusted. He knows what to do with all of the ingredients. Verse 14, God has done it so that people fear before Him. God wants to produce a good fear in us just like we want to produce a good fear in our children. There are fears. We don't want them to go out into the street. They need to have a healthy fear of that. We don't want them just to venture into the woods without somebody with them. We want them to have a healthy fear of that. And God uses all of these ingredients to give us a healthy fear of Him. He's not a tame lion, right? He's good. Oh yeah, He's good, I'll tell you. But He's not tame. This is the God that we learn about in Revelation that commands every force, everything that we understand of as power in this, in this world. The earth, the wind, the fire, the water, the angels, the, the beings. He is at the command center and He utters commands so that His will shall be done. If He wants one lifted up, they shall be lifted up. If He wants to put us on our knees, to our knees we will go. This is the God that's created us in this world and we live in it. So what do we do? We enjoy every day the best we can and we fear God. We work that in our hearts. We're able to enjoy our days for what they are because God is a worthy God. It's not perfect, but we can honor Him in all of it. So for now, God is here. And we have an opportunity to enjoy our lives. We have an opportunity to enjoy the gift of the ingredients that He has brought into us as His community of faith. So let us come and publicly proclaim His greatness. Let's enjoy Him as we praise Him and as we fellowship around the Lord's Supper. Psalm 115.1 One of the Rosemas Um, favorite verses, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. May God bless the preaching of his word.